From the Financial Times in New York, I'm Amy Keene, and this is FT News. The Trump administration has hit Canada, Mexico, and the EU with steel and aluminum tariffs. Each of the U.S. allies have condemned the move and responded with their own set of retaliatory tariffs. The FT's world trade editor, Sean Donnan, is on the line from D.C. to break it down. Sean, can we start with the backstory to these tariffs on steel and aluminum imports and why it's targeting some of the U.S.'s closest allies? The administration was faced with with a legitimate problem, which was how do you deal with this this Chinese overcapacity issue? Essentially, the Chinese have ramped up production so much over the past decade. They're now the dominant steel producer in the world, and they have all this leftover steel that they're they're flooding into the market, and that causes problems all over the world. The way that the administration chose to deal with it was incredibly novel, though. That was to launch something called a Section 232 investigation. It's based on a 1962 trade act. And it basically allows American presence to, if they feel that national security is is threatened, to impose tariffs unilaterally. And that's become their, their chosen vehicle for a lot of tariffs. Then you fast forward to this year into March. And after that investigation had been carried out and a series of recommendations had gone through. Donald Trump announced that he would impose tariffs of 25% on steel and 10% on aluminum. And these would apply to imports from all over the world. And they would uh, take effect within a relatively short period of time. And very quickly, there was an enormous pushback from not just allies, but steel users here in the United States, the EU, Canada, and Mexico, with whom the U.S. has been negotiating a new version of the North American Free Trade Agreement, and other folks like Japan, who, again, export a fair amount of steel. And actually, if you looked at U.S. steel imports, relatively small in a $20 trillion a year economy in 2017, they were worth only about $29 billion. And the main sources of steel were allies like Canada, Mexico, Brazil, and European exporters in places like Germany, all of whom are longstanding allies of of the United States. And we're all of a sudden getting caught up in this in this action against China. You had a series of exceptions that were temporary that ran for the last of them was extended May 1st and ran through to June 1st for the EU, Canada, and Mexico. But this process has all kind of come to an end. And finally, the U.S. has decided to impose these tariffs on its allies. So we have this process that began against China to deal with a legitimate problem. And I think folks in the EU would agree that this is a legitimate problem. And it's ended up hurting U.S. allies, some of the U.S.'s longest standing allies, and and provoked a very angry reaction from those allies. So how do you square this national security argument when it's applied to these allies, as we've mentioned? And that's exactly the question we've heard from allies in the EU and and Canada. Uh, Justin Trudeau, the prime minister of Canada, making the very emotional point that how dare you slap national security tariffs on on, on our steel in the name of national security when we fought wars alongside you. And, And thousands of Canadians have died on the battlefield alongside Americans in wars that have gone back decades. So there's an edge to that in terms of the response. There's a feeling in you know places like the UK and Canada that uh, they're being insulted by the Trump administration. But the Trump administration 
argues that it takes a much broader view of national security, and that is that national security isn't just about your capacity to, to fight in a war, but it's also about your economic security. And your economic security is about your industrial base. And your, you know, your industrial base is about retaining capacity to produce things like steel and not just in case you have a war, but for the kind of broader well-being of an economy. That's an incredibly broad view of national security. And once you start going down that route, there's a real risk that you start looking at just about any product in an economy as national security. And in fact, the Trump administration has in the last few weeks launched a similar Section 232 investigation into auto imports that has raised the possibility that uh, we could see high tariffs imposed on imports of Porsches, Minis, Toyotas, cars from all over the world. So this very broad economic reading of the national security argument, it's really being used to boost jobs in this particular case for steel and aluminum producers back home in the U.S., uh, which could be good news for those producers. But there are a number of other industries that use these materials at some point along the supply chain. How, what's the response been? Yeah, and that's another important point is that the Trump administration is waving the flag here, but the flag is divided. You have in the U.S. economy today a relatively small sector of the economy that produces steel and an incredibly large sector of the economy that uses steel and other metals, right? So your average car has about a ton of steel in it, and that is steel that doesn't just come from inside the United States. It, it's been imported in many cases. You also have all kinds of specialty steels that go into various machineries and, and uh, you know, surgical instruments uh, and so on. And they all come in various grades and are created with, with complicated formulas. And there's an argument from a lot of companies that some of that steel, that, special, that specialty steel in particular, just isn't available here in the United States and hasn't been for, for a long time, that they have no choice but to import it. Then there's also just an argument, which is the broad free trade argument that, that kind of sits with this, is that, you know, companies that produce products benefit from having kind of competition for parts and raw materials, that that helps them be more efficient. Uh, if you can buy the same bit of steel more cheaply from China, that may help you actually be more efficient and employ more people here in the United States and sell a better product uh, for cheaper, which is, you know, one of the, the ideal benefits of globalization. The problem is we're in a, we're in a period in history where that argument doesn't fly. Mm -hmm. But how does this sort of slapping on of tariffs against U.S. allies, what does that mean for the U.S. in negotiating with China on the existing trade war that they've had for several months now? So, you know, the, the Trump School of Negotiation says that uh, you try and build leverage in the negotiation. And, you know, they are trying to build leverage to get the Europeans to give concessions in, in other areas now as well. It's also filtered into the negotiations over NAFTA. And the U.S. sees the same thing with China. It's threatening a, a, another batch of tariffs on China. The question is whether in, in any of these cases, and this is one of the things that, that we're seeing now, is, is that sometimes the leverage that that's perceived as isn't as large as, as as you think, and that there's always kind of collateral damage with these moves. There's an argument that the, the, the most important thing that the U.S. 
can do and taking on China and trying to get some change in, it, in the trade practices in China. And so it's to build an alliance of kind of like-minded countries. And we've heard people like Larry Kudlow, the head of the National Economic Council in the administration, make that case as well. But every time, you know, you hit the allies with with, with tariffs, you, you reduce your ability to create that coalition. It's like the playground bully who, you know, steals everyone's lunch money. And then all of a sudden, another bigger bully shows up on the playground and he turns around and tries to get all the other kids who he's been beating up for the last year to help him out with a bigger kid who's beating up on him now. It just doesn't work. It's not an argument that you make for a, for a kind of rational way to behave on the playground. And that's the position that the Trump administration finds itself in now. It's got a lot of legitimate complaints with China. A lot of other countries feel that way. But right now, they don't feel like playing along with the Trump administration against China uh, because they're the victim of its bullying. So the president and his his trade advisors, they're essentially acting on the very campaign promise of renegotiating, reconsidering its various trade agreements, all in the name of protecting U.S. jobs. I guess the real test of this will come at the polls both later this year with the midterms as well as uh, when the president's up for re-election in 2020. Thanks, Sean. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com.